Alrighty, y'all. Wednesday, January 9th. Good afternoon. Enjoying my last Californian, Californian, uh, sun, sundown, sundown coming up. About to, uh, fly back to East Coast tonight at midnight after, uh, month out here. So, um, yeah, let's just get right into it. Yeah, you know, how's everybody's New Year doing? That was obvious that I thought of starting it like that. And then I said it, so that didn't sound good. But, you know, first weekend of the New Year. Um, I've been seeing, like, people making fun of... No, I saw something that was kind of making fun of, like, New Year's resolutions. Um, like, yeah... Everyone's gonna do that diet for two days and then stop, but but I would wager that it's not only the new calendar year that's making everyone kind of hunker down, focus on their, you know what I'm saying, whatever they gotta do. It's also this time of year in terms of the weather. Um because December twenty second is the winter solstice, so that means it's the shortest day of the year. But then, you know, that's why. But then now we're about to start winter. It's gonna get. That's. A, it's good. We already passed the darkest day of the year, but it's gonna get colder and colder. And every just in terms of the cyclical element of it, it's not just like when this time of year comes around. That's when you know you gotta you got less sunlight. Gotta lock in. Cultivate that will. You know what I'm saying? So it makes sense that people are doing the New Year's resolutions. It's not just like a little whatever. I'm trying to justify that me posting weekly is going to be a thing. It's not just... I have looked back to the last couple of years and it seems like every new year there's like a spurt of episodes in January. But we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I think... Anyway. Hope everyone's New Year's resolutions are going good. Um, oh yeah. With that being said, I'm, I'm still out in LA. So... Uh, I haven't really felt the coldness, the coldness just yet, but I'm about to, I'm about to. Mm. Alright, so the way this book came up, um, The Femicide Machine by Sergio Gonzalez Rodriguez, published in 2012. Anyone has read 2666 by Roberto Bolaño, in the long crime section, um, is that enough of a household name for me to not have to explain it? I'll explain it. So 2066, published in 2004, uh, by Chilean novelist Roberto Bolaño, who died right before its publication at age 50. Um, massive 900-page guy. Um, huge section in, in the book, of in the fourth of five parts, fourth of five sections, called the part about the crimes pretty much two to three hundred page section um, following a bunch of different set set in Juarez just south of El Paso Texas um, the southern uh, tip of Texas just across the border across the Rio Grande River in the Sonora Desert um, for the long time the most violent city in the world it's the border it's the border city of all the migrants, immigrant people, humans coming in 
into the city, drugs coming into the city, that's the point right there. Um, most violent city in the world for a long time, but basically in the 90s, between 93 and 98, um, 300 plus unsolved rape murders of women popping up in the desert everywhere. No, over five years, just, that's a pretty staggering number. Zero people punished for it. So that was the focus of that big part of Blano, and anyone who knows me knows that I, that was the subject of my undergrad fucking, I, I fuck with that book, I've been going in, I, you know, I, so basically, um, when I was fucking with that book back in, uh, circa 2013, when I was writing that senior, a senior, you know what I'm saying, that school, a school book, trying to senior school book, I was looking at it, I was looking at it very generally, I was like, look, you got this problem of women getting raped and murdered in the desert. And then on school, at, at the school I was at, it was also the beginning of, you know, I was listening to a podcast about, it was the most recent Joe Rogan podcast. I was just listening to a snippet of it and it was some professor or something, but there was like a clip and it was like, when did the, when did the Me Too, Me Too movement start? When did the, and he was like, it started in 2014. But bro, Swarthmore was actually the first school to do a Title IX complaint. And I left after 2013. It was the first school. So it actually started in 2013, low key, low key. But anyway, so I was like, the problem was, I was making this connection. I mean, and Bolaño goes in in a way when he's talking about those rape murders in a, oh shit, I'm not even bringing it back. I'm not even explaining why I'm saying all this. So, um, Basically, he goes in and, um, I'll get to what I was doing wrong with my thesis in a second, but, um, basically there's a, uh, there's a character in the crime section, like, it's the journalist character, because there's, like, a journalist character, there's a detective, there's a police chief, and it just kind of cycles around, and it's following the different, the different, uh, aspects of the, um, you know, the crimes. You got the police chief, you got the journalist writing about it, you got the detective trying to find, you know, uh, follow the case. And then it's cut in with almost like police reports of like every woman, you know, every couple sections, just like so-and-so's body was found here. Her hyoid bone, that's like in your neck, was broken, indicating um, sexual, you know, misconduct. Um, Basically, just all these bodies that were shown, that were popping up in the desert and showed indication of, of rape or something like that. So, the, the the journalist character's name was Sergio, Sergio Gonzalez, Sergio Gonzalez. Basically, and then Bolaño talked about it in his in his uh, in his uh, interviews. That's how he got into it. His a friend of his uh, was a journalist and told him about what was going on. And I, when, the reason why I went, I was just I couldn't believe I hadn't heard about this, and it wasn't more in the national or I don't know like not that long ago right across the border from the US so um, basically when I was I still got this you know this text and when I think about how I went in on it I realized that fuck hold on a sec I realized that I was kind of conflating the two like I was like alright in Mexico you got um, 
these women popping up, you know, raped and murdered. And then, like, on campus, you got all these different, you know, different degrees of of cases of sexual misconduct. Like, it, it felt like that was the most pressing issue to look at. And Bolaño does take a somewhat journalistic angle where he's describing things that are happening, and he's literally describing his friend in the novel. So it's not like he's looking at it completely symbolically, but I, I feel like I was kind of looking at both of these situations as, um, as, uh, like, equally applicable to, and you know, to all, like, so it's happening in Mexico, it's happening here, you know, obviously to completely um, different degrees. But, you know, this is a human problem that we're facing now. But um, I didn't really, you know, it was a, it wasn't a, it wasn't a history. Like, I wasn't taking a, it was, I was almost taking a philosophical fucking angle, you know, like a literary angle of looking at it and looking at, like, whatever, masculinity or whatever. But, um, so then I, I, I think that's why I kind of got back into, the, I, I, I somehow was like, I need to read more about, like, what actually is caught, was causing that, or I don't, I don't know why I got into it, but I, I, um, I caught the book over the past month, because, oh yeah, and I just made that connection, I was like, I remember, and he, he died in 2016, I think, um, Sergio, so basically it's like, this is sort of like the first-hand text that, like, the 2066 crimes part was, was based off of, and then, I think also either what led to that, or what popped up, concurrently was obviously um, all the talk in politics now of like border reform and like obviously the wall and whatnot and I think like when I first was getting that book it was like the day when like the government shutdown happened and I saw that 10 minute YouTube video of like Trump and fucking Nancy Pelosi and that other dude just like arguing for 10 minutes <sighs> what the fuck anyway so um so yeah, then I was like, this is kind of interesting right now. This is, so that was kind of also fueling my reading of it, thinking of like, yeah, like there's definitely a problem with the relationship. Economic relationship between the US and Mexico. And um, yeah, and the issue of, of the border um, so, um, what's my other thread? Yeah, I just wanted to, I wanted to look at, kind of, I want to try to tap into more of, um, yeah, okay, so it's like, get away from the idea of it just being like a human problem, because, um, you know, I think people are reacting to the forces of their environment, so, sort of like when people want to deny that there's more violence in a certain area um, it's actually better to look at the circumstances that lead to it in terms of trying to solve it versus seeing it as like an inherent um, characteristic of a type of people you know what I'm saying so it's like yeah so basically I was like that was my angle. Um, so, obviously, obviously, it's kind of hard to go in on without potentially getting a little sus suspect with uh, what I'm saying. But, um, 
Yeah, have we done enough backstory of what's about what, what what's going on there? Yeah, so basically that Bellagno wrote that book from 1998 to 2003, um, and that's why it was in the 90s. But um, things like that have continued um, since then, during the 2000s, which is when uh, Sergio Gonzalez Rodriguez was writing. Um, oh yeah, another element that's interesting and, and relevant to what's going on now is uh, is the fact that pretty early on uh, it talks about how NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, uh, influenced the the sudden um, um, spike in violence because that was 1994 when it when it became part of Mexico so pretty much Mexico U.S. and Canada uh, lifting the tariffs for how they could you know basically the effect that it had on the borders a border city like Juarez is um, the maquiladoras which is like the uh, factories for um, goods from the U.S., like, um, say, like, automotive parts or something, basically, so here's basically what was causing it, which is what I learned from it, so that was the the effect on, so so NAFTA had a lot of effects, because, like, whatever, we could get, you know, more fucking dairy from Canada, um, um, Mexico is exporting their vegetables with less taxes, but then the but then the a big effect that it had, um, the negative effect on 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 Juarez and mostly poor industrial areas is these manufacturing factories, um, which is what the maquiladora is, um, moved um, So moved from the U.S. to Mexico to a place like Juarez. So now, instead of us, uh, whatever, building our, uh, whatever, whatever parts, those, 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 Jesus, these crows are going crazy. Those go to um, Mexico, go to Juarez, and uh, they make them. And uh, they export them back to the U.S. Probably for cheaper, for what the U.S. could do, but more, but uh, provides more of a job opportunity in Mexico than they have. So then you got a huge influx of people coming north. So basically, it talks about how um, Juarez. Yeah. So basically, and, and, and the way it relates to the femicides is um, the problem was the that Mexico didn't invest enough in in infrastructure and like uh, for these new factories in terms of roads um, water um, let me see I gotta start reading quotes that's when uh, that's when it becomes a real, a real podcast So yes, the city institutions were incapable of providing satisfactory level of housing, healthcare, safety, transportation, education, uh, justice, culture, and environmental quality. So in a place like in a place like Juarez, you got people are coming up to Juarez to get this job because it's better than whatever they got, I guess. Um, but then um, the living conditions are terrible, 
and you got a huge spike in women working. Um, so you got these women working in horrible living conditions, um, um, exposed to, you know, there's like no street lights, just like, just like the slums and Maquiladoras, because that's when the majority of the women in, in 2066 who were getting raped and murdered were from poor um, factory workers, working women. And then, so there's that, there's that infrastructural element, but then there's also a kind of cultural element. Um, let me see if I can pull that up, where the symbol of the working woman um, who no longer needs a man for money um, doesn't jive with like the kind of machismo cultural vibe um, creating uh, uh, animosity towards these women cultural animosity towards women um, not by everyone so um, Page 28, women above all working women moved into the role of the urban protagonist as role, a role as direct as it was subliminal. The presence of women in, in the home, on the street, in factories, and in spaces used for relaxation and leisure unleashed men's hatred. Um, 28-29, a risk group, working women, girls, female students, and young women looking for work emerged within the urban territory, inhabiting dangerous zones and corridors. Okay, so there's that element. There's that element. A, a woman, here we go, 34. A woman who works and has no need for masculine protection becomes the antithesis of the, quote, pure woman fantasy. Once freed from financial dependence upon male family members uh, and, and from a very young age, even following puberty, women are identified as dirty, interested only in money, sex, and fun for her leisure time. All right, so that's, that's those are the circumstances. So the reason why I was interested now, because NAFTA was nineteen ninety four. It started it was first nineteen ninety eight with Canada and nineteen ninety four with with um with Mexico. That's when these maquiladoras popped up. That's when the population that had been growing in Juarez just due to normal migratory patterns and stuff with the cartel, which I'll get to in a second, um, spiked even more during the nineties because you got all these women coming up for these jobs in these new factories right on the border in these terrible industrial conditions. Um, and then, uh, oh yeah, why it's interesting now is because fucking Trump just changed the NAFTA agreement to the NAFTA's done. I guess it hasn't been implemented yet, but what is it? It's the US, Mexico, Canada Alliance now. Um, and the difference in it, I was just doing some research on this now because I usually don't know much about this stuff is that basically it's, I think it's encouraging more domestic production. Um, geez, I, this alley is just dog filled. I gotta go the other way. So, um, so that's another interesting element because NAFTA is tied into what's leading to these conditions. Now, this isn't a statement on all of Mexico too because Juarez is a unique city. Always, he's talking about how it's, it's obviously it's a border city um, and even the way it relates to the rest of Mexico, it's so far north like so far removed from uh, like Mexico City and um, um, it's surrounded, it's kind of like, it's got the border to the north, it's got the mountains to the west, and it's got the huge desert, the vast desert, um, the Sonora Desert in the state of Chihuahua to the south. So it's kind of like this isolated domain. And obviously, so the last part of all these factors leading to it who, who are the primary perpetrators of, um, 
of, of these crimes. And uh, a big problem that, um, so it's basically, he talks about um, how the U.S. is the biggest importer of drugs, the import market of drugs in the world. That means the most drugs are coming into the U.S. Um, and uh, so that's why, so the cartel is uh, is huge um, and, and it's coming from Mexico. That's a huge, that's a huge way, uh, um, they're, you know, they're getting money in Mexico. And basically this kind of comes out in... Uh, <laughs> In 2666, also, um, where there's uh, collaboration, basically between the the Mexican government and the cartel. Basically, the cartel uh, pays the Mexican government um, officials, kind of like how the the campaign finance system works in the U.S., except way gnarlier. Um, for impunity for their crimes, but then they're they're paying them, so that's why. Um, so let's go to the end, uh, where it goes. Uh, the government? Nope, not there. Uh, super tightly written book. It's like oh, just over a hundred pages. Just. Just dropping facts and statistics and uh, breaking it down real clearly, real clear journalism. I liked I liked reading something like that. Um, I took so I took too many quotes at the end. You take too many quotes and you can't find it. All right, why were they murdered? This is page uh, seventy-one, seventy-two. Um, for the pleasure of killing women who are poor in defense. Okay. Um, so, who killed them? Drug traffic traffickers complicit with individuals who enjoy political and economic power. So, there's a complicity. Um, where, where, and how did the events take place? Just kind of weird question to answer for Matt. The end. The victims were abducted from the streets of Ciudad Juarez and taken by force into safe houses, where they were raped, tortured, and murdered at stag parties or orgies. That's what it kind of. That's where it kind of comes to at the end of um, of 2666, um, where you kind of just see this whole system of complicity between the the kind of essentially the oligarchy of. You know the the people with the money who are running the government, and then the really wealthy families who are kind of in cahoots with the government, and then the cartel. So that really that's a big problem is the cartel. So this is also so basically my whole my whole stance when I first went into it, I was almost like, bro, I was almost like, would border security actually be better for everybody? Like this is the idea I was humoring. Because you got this liquid border where all this violence comes around and people trying to smuggle people and humans, I mean, people and drugs into the U.S. If that process was more um, regulated and you wanted to, if people, 
wanted to come through, you know, a family wanted to come through to work, they would be able to, and they would be protected. And there wasn't a liquid border, so there weren't people going into, like, sus situations. Would that be better? And also this idea of, I've heard arguments of, like, like, you know, like, the fact that everyone wants to leave Mexico is un- is a problem. It's unfortunate if Mexico could have more of an autonomous economic system. I'm only saying really obvious stuff, and I'm gonna I'm gonna. This was my initial um, thoughts. That would be, um, you know, then it would, it would be like that would be better for everybody. And this whole idea of having, you know. Like, obviously, obviously you don't want, you know, fucking families, people working to be displaced um, from the U.S. That's super whack. But then also this idea of, like, um, a lot of the agriculture production, say, in California, or people who are working as cleaners or something like that, are, are uh, technically not... Um, not established citizens and then people are paying them like under the table paying them less like they should be able to become citizens and then get paid like anybody else like, i don't know if that's good to have that uh those two tiers of citizens you know um i mean even my mom who works at the santa monica waldorf school or uh not santa monica but around here like super wealthy parents she was talking about how all the kids she thinks, I mean, I think kids, you know, just wild out by nature, but part of the reason why they're wilding out is because they all, they all kind of have, like, nannies, and I don't know, it's just kind of weird, like, that shouldn't be, that shouldn't be the case, obviously, yeah, anyway, um, Trump's actual motivations for, for uh, increasing border security, that's, that's maybe harder to parse through, so it's almost like an incidental thing, but then when I realized reading this, an incidental thing that maybe better uh, better regulation of the border could be beneficial um, to the safety of people in, 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 on the war, on the Mexico side of the border and uh, for, for people trying to come in um, and work or, or just you know just live whatever um, but um, what I realize is what a big a big part of the problem is the fact that the U.S. is the biggest importer of drugs in the world, and that's where Mexico is uh, is gaining a lot of their yeah. That's what that's why the cartel is so big, um, and they're kind of tied with, and they're kind of the ones who are like it's not it's never clear who's doing the murders because anytime another woman pops up, you know, her body's found. There's just, it just, no one's getting punished because, you know, the complicity between the government and the police force and the, uh, and the cartel, which it always seems connected to the cartel. Like all these feelings of, these machismo feelings of towards like women working and stuff, it doesn't seem, that seems like, yeah, people in the cartel are kind of perpetuating that. Um, but, so so then so then yeah I was kind of I was thinking about borders in a symbolic way and kind of applying it to how I was looking at like 
relationships and um, um, autonomy and relationships and codependency in other relationships and how kind of and I was talking about this last week in the Sheila Hetty podcast and like kind of how this element of like establishing your own autonomy is um, is, uh, is 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 important um, to healthy relationships and oftentimes even even sometimes you think like I was talking to Sheena my little sister about this um, you think you want to help somebody or or a doctor wants to cure somebody um, so you're kind of this, this impulse to kind of save somebody or help them in a parental or a, a paternal way sometimes that seems like the right thing to do but oftentimes the way you actually help people figure out how to be better on their own is not by telling them but by conveying um, by conveying yourself more independently or autonomously um, as like an example or just like you know that thing it's like sometimes you're perpetuating some I'm also talking about living out here in LA for a month with a pretty compromised health situation um, living in close quarters with the with the mother you know what I'm saying and I'm kind of sometimes I'm like I'm like uh, I don't know sometimes you think like when you're being you know going to doctors and stuff and it's kind of like uh, when you're being helped a lot it kind of perpetuates this idea of me needing help to be okay whereas like if if you you know it's it's kind of those moments where you realize like some kind of like sometimes you just gotta man up and just be good and do your thing okay basically the way it applies the way it applied to what I was thinking of is like this doesn't seem this doesn't seem good that um, the US is like um, the US is like building you know setting up factories in really poor areas in Mexico and uh, to, to the point where um, um, the infrastructure and the basic health stuff in Mexico isn't isn't good enough. Even if it is providing relatively uh, more lucrative jobs for people um, than what they have already, it's setting up like a really sketchy, you know, it's like monopolistic just suspect element of capitalism circumstance that was a weird sentence but and this kind of weird you know he talks about as the population growth increased over the 1900s like um, things just shifted more from like um, let me pull up that quote like um, the economy shifted more from like Small local industries that supplied basic goods such as soaps, oils, and threads began to decline. At the beginning of the 1960s, Mexico's federal government created the National Border and Border Industrialization, that's 1965 programs, um, programs that rapidly led to the establishment of the maquila or the manufacturing assemblies. So that started even then, and then he just took another spike with NAFTA in 1990. So, so you're like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> establishing the different countries and 
just like any other two countries are established, you know, and and kind of like allowing um, the development of each country to happen on their own, it seems like the wave. But then the problem is all the a lot of it, the issues that have developed in in, in Juarez um, with the cartel and whatnot is intrinsically tied to the U.S. because like they're talking about how like. Um, the U.S. So basically, like, because the U.S. government um, sponsored a war on drugs starting in, like, the 60s, um, where um, Mexico's war on drug trafficking, sponsored by this page 40, sponsored by the U.S., the world's largest market for and consumer of drugs, began in 2006 and resulted in more than 30,000 deaths by 2011. 20% of those deaths occurred in Juarez. That's crazy. So, I think the main thing I was feeling is like there's definitely, there's definitely a problem um, with I mean, everyone knows this, but there's a problem with the relationship between, with the border and the relationship between Mexico and the U.S. Um, and how they're in, in engaging economically. Um, and it's not as simple as being like, there's no problem with border security. Everything about the wall is absurd. Because here's another interesting thing, bro. On page... 56, 57. Um, he says, In 2011, despite plans to erect a wall spanning the Mexican border, the U.S. government acknowledged that it maintained effective control of only 50% of the border while exercising operative responsible capabilities over the rest. There was a plan in 2011 for the U.S. to, to build a border. Oh yeah, since September 2000, since September 11th is still 57, 56, 57. Since September 11th, the United States has considered its border with Mexico a national security priority. Okay, escalating tensions. Yeah. Um, the war. So basically, yeah. Then there's all this stuff with like the people trading, like people giving, people giving, the U.S. giving, giving arms, giving guns to to the government to like fight fight the the cartel many attribute many attribute the the crux of the crisis to lie in the strategic exchange drugs for guns between the US and Mexico Okay, so it's so there's the factories. Then there's also the resources that are right on the border, like oil fields and uh, wind and wind and solar um, energy um, um, deposit depositories. The U.S. is exploiting, but part of the problem is on page 64, petroleum, for example, is abundant in the Gulf of Mexico. 
Yet unlike the U.S. petroleum industry, Mexico lacks the technology to take advantage of its best deposits. So it's like it's not as simple. Basically, it's like you know to, you, you know you notice how much the economies are intertwined. So in one sense, U.S. is exploiting. The, the natural resources in Mexico, but then it also says that, you, that Mexico doesn't have the infrastructure or technology to take advantage of those best deposits. Maybe they don't have to take advantage of those deposits, but uh, so here we go. Yeah, the U.S. the use of U.S. mercenaries in Mexico to fight the war on drug trafficking is well documented, but both the Mexican and U.S. governments refuse to acknowledge it. The use of U.S. so that's a weird thing where it's like the U.S. is like um, providing military force to fight the war on drugs, but then the U.S. is also the, the U.S. government. But then the U.S. is also the biggest. I think that's the crux of it. The, it's the biggest market for drugs. There's got to be a different way. But then if the border was more secure and cartel the cartel ah man couldn't yeah i don't even know man i really don't know what the answer is but this is just this kind of i went in with some questions those are my questions pretty much my question going in was like is there a scenario where having a more yeah established border would actually be beneficial for everybody involved because i was thinking then if it's like a super malleable border and the, the cartel is constantly finding ways to maintain its presence and funnel drugs into the US, like, if they couldn't do that, then they wouldn't be, like, they, they wouldn't be able to have such a stronghold in, in the area. Um, and I wonder what drugs are talking about, probably cocaine, and also it's like, the U.S., shit, gotta just grow its own drugs, man. Um, yeah, while drug-related violence can be diffuse in the large cities of consumer nations, right, like big U.S. cities, it often concentrates at the bottlenecks, zones and corridors where trafficking occurs, like Ciudad Juarez. That's the epitome of what Juarez is. It's the bottleneck where humans and drugs are coming into the U.S. And I actually, yeah, I actually, circa 2015, when I was driving back across the country east to west on a southern route, I actually we stayed one night, a couple homies stayed with the... Uh, friend ex friend of ours who was working at a shelter in El Paso um, for folks who just made it across and uh, we were only there for one night but that next morning a couple of her co-workers um, accompanied me and we went over into Juarez for the whole morning I think it was a Sunday morning um, and we missed it around I think it was a Sunday morning it was pretty mellow we went to a big-ass market up some of the churches there um but um it's crazy it's just there's just the 
a river separating it. It's so close. You could see, if you go through El Paso, you could see Juarez across the river. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's interesting because there's definitely like the misogynistic element. So he says, authorities refuse 72. Authorities refuse to investigate the cases in depth. The last section, he kind of just goes into individual cases and kind of reads like that part in 2666 where he's just describing it. It's pretty gnarly. Maybe I'll read once. So you know what I'm talking about. Oh, shit. Someone's calling me. I'm going to call him back. Um, all right. It's kind of gnarly. This is, this is a dark pod. It's a dark pod. We'll get back to some fun stuff later. But I think it's relevant because I think the questions at the border and the way... I think it's a really complex issue. I don't really know what's good. But anyway, whatever. In 2005, page 74, um, a little girl was kidnapped on the street near her house. Her body was found days later inside a plastic container filled with cement. She had been assaulted and sexually assaulted. She was fucking seven years old, bro. Another girl suffered sexual assault in her house and was killed by asphyxiation. Her house was burned down. The victim was 10. 36 victims were reported that year, attacked in various circumstances. So even in 2005, you got 36 victims of this type of violence. In 2009, there were 164 murders of women in Ciudad Juarez and 306 similar murders in 2010. They died from strangulation, stabbing, and gunshots. The brutality of their bodies was habitual. The rise, oh bro, listen to this, bro. Listen to this. The rise in this of this type of violence coincides with the war on drugs and a boom in border insecurity, bro. What? So see, Bologna was writing in the 90s. There was 300 plus. I think they said it, there was about 400 from 1993 to 1999. But just in 2010, there's 306. In 2009, it's still going on. And the rise of violence, this is that line right there, the rise of type of violence. I'm back in the crow region. We got the crows around here. I'm just walking these little one-way alleys, trying to keep it nice and quiet. I'll probably look like crazy, rambling to myself. But it coincide with the war on drugs and a boom in border insecurity, bro. See, that's the thing, though. I feel like it's kind of, it's like an incidental, I don't know. Like, there's definitely a problem with border security, but then people can interpret that in a lot of ways. You know, it can be like, it can be, and I think that's why people are uh, uh, apprehensive to even explore ways. I mean, when I, I remember when I first heard that the wall was even being proposed, I thought literally it was a joke. Um, hold on one second. Yo, Sheen, I'm doing this pod. Can I call you back? You could cut. You could head this way. I'm only got 15 more minutes. Cool. All right. See you soon. All right. Um. What was I saying? Oh yeah, I thought the idea of the wall was a crazy. It was the most absurd shit ever. I thought it was a joke. But then, obviously, I didn't know Mexico had a, a wall on their southern border, and I didn't know that the U.S. had already proposed this in 2011. But they didn't do it, so, so that's the thing. That's the that's the, it, that's a problem with this, because I think there are elements um, where if you actually created 
a, a, a border because I mean it's like any other any other um, like Japan for example is surrounded by water any other border and people you know I know this is kind of like a whatever I don't care what where this argument falls they're surrounded by water. so people have you know fucking Sheena's partner and my partner and sister's partner just got her 10-year visa you know I fucking was born in Japan so I had dual citizenship but my mom well I guess she had yeah the, none of those examples work but you know it's like just going through the process but okay so when because of how it's being proposed and how some people are taking the idea of border security for kind of the wrong reasons and then you don't know how that border would be implemented where it actually be a situation where you're trying to you know let anyone who's trying to work and it doesn't have any serious I don't know I don't know how does it happen generally like I feel like the US is a really welcoming country in general you know like um, so would that same type of would that happen yeah if if the US had a, a border or would it be kind of used to create a kind of nationalist type type which doesn't even make sense because we have so many nationalities which is what the nation is so so that's a weird thing where like I think there are elements where it actually could cut down on the on the you know drug violence and all these issues but it could also be used for the wrong reasons um, and a lot of people who are who are supporting it are supporting it for the wrong reasons too you know what I'm saying but um already kind of touched on this oh yeah because that's another thing um, that's kind of realized what my mistake was that's a loud ass plane yo but like it's just vibrating um i can't believe i'm about to be back in philly tomorrow it's gonna be cold as fuck but um that's another thing i was kind of i was kind of realized i kind of overlooked like when i was looking at connecting like you know the fledgling stages of the me too movement circa 2013 with this issue where um it's really a situation where people are put people are put in really dire circumstances that a lot of this kind of violence springs up and it's just not the same situation the college campus is not the same as fucking Juarez you know what I'm saying um although it could you know it could, you could you could take a symbolic approach and look at at kind of that baseline shift that's happening um in gender relations where I mean even that line about um, about you know women women working in the factory out and about at night on their own financially autonomous from men constituting a paradigm shift that some people can't you know can't handle and want to want to fuck with um, that's probably present a little bit you know especially like in what's going on today um, maybe you know but I think it's actually it can get kind of dangerous when you or not dangerous but you know when you look at gender issues in uh, in that kind of umbrella way applied to a whole bunch of situations I like think it's better to look at the specificity of the scenario to understand why a situation happened like for example this was interesting right here um, he talks about 
I might just start reading it and see if I could scroll up, catch up, to, I mean, start remembering it, scroll up to the quote if I find it. They're talking about between uh, uh, 1993, here we go, found it, between page 33, between 1996 and 1999, 20% of rape victims were male. Whoa. The majority of these victims were younger than 10 and were raped by their fathers or stepfathers, bro. Poor, broken, uneducated families. Child victims of rape tend to become potential rapists, bro. <sighs> yeah, so, so, so you know what I'm saying? It's like, that's a specific circumstance. But it could, so then you look at the root of the circumstance. And I think, uh, I think where the U.S. can't just reestablish a border and be like, we'll do us, you do you, um, um, which in a way might happen more with the shift away from NAFTA with uh, the U.S. Because I think that is, yeah, that it, using a poorer country to exploit them so you could set up factories and just build stuff over there for cheaper. That's sus, bro. That's super sus. Cause they're not even benefiting off of what they're, what they're working on, you know? Fucking same in with fucking Nikes, you know? Like you should, anyway, that's super whack. So, um, but, but at the same time, the reason why you can't just reestablish the border be like, we do, you know, we'll do us, you do you is because, um, yeah, a lot of what set up the circumstances now, as they are now, were based on, you know, setting up the factories um, in the industrial areas for U.S., you know, U.S. companies, U.S. products, um, um, funneling a bunch of guns in there to quote-unquote fight the cartel, um, or just fueling the cartel because... So many motherfuckers in the U.S. love to do that blow. You know what I'm saying? Maybe we got it. That's, you know, shift away from... That's always a little bit sus, you know? It's like, how are you going to be a woke-ass woke, woke -ass person talking about your woke ideas? You go out on Saturday night, hit that blow, just, you know... <laughs> anyway, now I'm being a finger-wagging woke person. But, um... Yeah, it's pretty crazy stuff, man. Um... They got a real police state over there, you know what I'm saying? It's really, it's really whack. Um, yeah, institutional defection began long ago, ever since federal, state, and municipal authorities in Chihuahua, that's the larger state uh, in Mexico that war is part of, began taking money from organized crime in exchange for judicial impunity. That's the, that's the crux of the problem right there. Got down back in the dog region. Um, chill bro so yeah how do you break that how do you break that kind of institutional corruption that's a tough question um yeah or maybe decriminalizing drugs rather than giving more guns that might be i think i gotta read it i think I, there's a book about that i gotta read um Ciudad Juarez has the highest middle school dropout rate in Mexico. 
in a city that is also home to the highest high school dropout rates and the largest percentage of 12 to 18 year olds who neither study nor work. Their options are unemployment, drug trafficking, petty crime, or fucking suicide, bro. Yo, this kind of this kind of goes back to what I was saying. Like even that stat about the you know one fifth of the rape victims being men, and the most of them, I mean male, and most of them being boys under the age of ten by the father or stepfathers, and then that just perpetuates the cycle because, like, I don't know. I really think that. Yeah, because like a recurring theme in the last few podcasts has been this idea of like family and uh, the importance of um, having a father for success. Um, um, you know, that Fiat just skirting by the alley. Beautiful, beautiful spot. Um, but um, yeah. Maybe in the U.S., you know, people are like, yo, fuck a family. Not even about having kids, but just people need that support at a young age, bro. A lot of, I'm not being an apologist, um, well, but a lot of people just, you know, a lot of young, you know, even I think of like rappers, like young rappers who have like, violent aspects of their story like 6ix9ine or XX you know a common theme of those is like I was talking to my Lyft driver about this the other day like about 6ix9ine he was, he was just shitting on 6ix9ine the rapper Takashi 6ix9ine and uh that dude if you listen to his interview when he was uh when he was uh 10 he basically like his dad got murdered a block away from him. X X didn't have, you know. I just think, yeah, fatherlessness is such a big issue to perpetuating these cyclical, um, cyclical processes of um, violence and and yeah, middle school dropout rate, inability. That's that's when when you're dropping out of middle school or high school. That's when you never learn to operate in a family, so then you can't operate in the bigger families of school or you don't know how to play by those rules, you know? So that's a fucking big-ass problem, bro. Um, But yeah, a lot of the common thread... They actually make a reference to rap in here, bro. It's kind of funny. He goes, uh, he starts referencing some Mexican rap, rapper's lyrics and shit. Um... Basically, he just said a lot of these kids, um, the, the only recourse. Rap and hip-hop have become the most important cultural expression for the world's poor and marginalized youth, bro. Page 24. That is real. That is fucking real. Um, uh, this, 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 this is an important, this is a, I felt like it was an important book. It was really tapping into... A lot of the uh, nuances of the problem. Um, um, yeah, and it seems also like they're talking about like as they're going to the history of Juarez. I'm almost done. I got five more minutes. Um, the population 
um, explosion. So you got all these people coming in, and there's just like no infrastructure to support it. Um, the population exploded, explosion compounded by a lack of infrastructure and basic services, the despoiling of natural resources, water shortages, with some 15% of its water supply lost to waste, and alarming pollution from industrial waste automobiles and the city's uh, 300 brickworks. Uh, and then he says, a mobile society emerged with the, the widespread use of cell phones. Almost half of Ciudad Juarez's populations use them compared to the rest of Mexico where coverage reached less than 15%. So you see like on the border city, half the people when he wrote this using cell phones where the rest of uh, uh, the, the world, the, the Mexico, the country is only 15%. And then he also, I don't know if I wrote this quote down, but they're talking about the rise of you know cars um, way disproportionate to the rest of Mexico. And it's kind of like you got this border, um, um, city with getting aspects of, um, you know, full industrialized, you know, the country, uh, American lifestyle. You got aspects of it, but it's not quite able to uphold it. So, ah, uh, man, it just creates this weird imbalance. I don't know. How are you going to explain this un unanswerable question? Um, yeah. Anyway, we'll see what happens with, uh, with the supposed uh, increase in border security. I, don't, I really don't think anybody who is established needs to be displaced. You know what I'm saying? That's that's super whack in the U.S. Any, but well, I just think the process should be easier for people, um, and there should be more. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see what happens. I don't even know what I think should happen, but this is what's going on. Um, and uh, I guess yeah, you can only really look. You can only really look at. Uh, the more whatever geopolitical fucking is that the right word you know those elements what's going on with the factories and the trade agreements you can only really look at those but i think what we can uh kind of work on is is the kind of interpersonal more symbolic you know archetypal element with with uh you know the uh the relations between the, the genders and the, and the changing and unleashing some kind of su you know suspect energies um, and for that I think uh, for that problem I think the kind of sim symbolic reading of the borders um, I'm really just reestablishing the borders in a lot of different ways because, you know, I'm trying to get that gut biome, right? Trying to get that gut biome. Um, um, you got you got the two types of... This is shit I'm learning. You know, you got the two types of bacteria in your gut that's supposed to have a border between them. Um, and one feeds on, like, the fibers and, and the fibrous foods. And the other feeds on, like, sugar and, and white flour. Um... But if you feed too much of the sugar and the white flour, that just leaks over the what's supposed to be a border. 
and you keep feeding that and it gets stronger and stronger. So you try to cut that out and you get all these cravings because literally you're feeding that bacteria inside you. Um, but um, you gotta reestablish that border. Um, um, what did that remind me of? Something she already said in her email. Um, oh yeah, Sheila Hetty was talking about, she emailed me after the last episode, about the episode, and she was talking about how, yeah, she was talking about how she, she, she has this problem where she always ghosts people, or she has a certain time she gets into where she'll make an engagement, and then last minute will want to not do it. And she was kind of like, why did I just, why didn't I just not do it in the first place? But then um, she was talking about how she got some advice about that problem, and I like this idea of like looking at looking at certain certain um, states that you find yourself in, like whether you want to cancel, um, you want to ghost on a situation, or you got a craving or something. You just look at that as a mood, like a mood, like a mood that's gonna pass, you know. And it will pass. It will. You gotta trust that it's gonna pass. Like especially now, I'm trying to like switch up my diet and whatnot. Still, I just get these crazy cravings, and I feel like unless I, you know, what I'm saying, face that that loaf of bread or what have you, I will not. Be, you know, unless I face that, I will not be okay. And sometimes you gotta face it, I guess. But if you also just look at it as a mood that's gonna pass, like your mind moves on to other stuff. Um, and that's the same with, I think, this impulse, these rages, these states of rage that fucking, you know, men can plummet into, people can plummet into, um, when they feel like they can't control the situation, they want to erase that border between them and other people, you know, dwelling in that space of questioning and unknowing. It's the hardest thing, and when you when you feel like you, you're gonna want to collapse that border, and uh, shit, man, just do some fucked up shit. I let that mood pass. You know, I gotta let that mood pass. And these motherfuckers in the cartel are all hopped up on cocaine and shit too, dude. So that's a problem. We gotta go back to that clean living. But um, yeah, I think that about does it for this week. Um, back at the spot, I gotta pack up, hop on this red eye. Um, next week, I think I'm gonna talk about Welbeck's book platform, or uh, maybe finish up uh, my struggle. Maybe talk to somebody who had a book. But uh, yeah, I hope that was uh, useful for some people. Um, I could be overlooking elements about this question completely which case I would like anybody's input on what I'm overlooking um, but uh, yeah it's, it's a tough problem um, but I hope everyone's new year keeps up going good and uh, yeah I'm gonna try to build that trust keep dropping the midnight you know keep dropping the Thursday episodes so after a while you'll be looking for it and it'll be there um, yeah I'm just scanning through See if there's anything else. I think that's about it, yo. I think we gotta just, uh, just keep trying to be a little better.
Shit. All right, y'all. Till next week. Peace.